Hey friends, this is Adam Stachowiak and you are listening to The Changelog, deep conversations with the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of the software world. On today's show, we're talking with Ben Uboys about RSS. Yes, RSS, the tech that never seems to die, and yet so many of us rely on it daily. Ben is the creator of Feedbin, which is self-described as a nice place to read on the web. Jared and I are both users. Ben is also the maker of a new iOS app for people who like podcasts. It's called Airshow, and you can download it at airshow.fm. We catch up with Ben on the state of Feedbin. We discuss the nine lives of RSS and its foundational utility for the indie web, the possibilities and the shortcomings of RSS. We get deep in the weeds on the podcast 2.0 spec and the work being done on podcast chapters. And of course, we cover Ben's new app, Airshow. For a Plus Plus subscriber, stick around. We have a bonus 20 minutes after the show for you. If you haven't yet, check out ChangeLaw Plus Plus. That is our membership. Check it out at changelaw.com slash plus plus. Big thanks to our friends and partners at Fastly. Our pods are fast to download globally because Fastly is fast globally. Check them out at fastly.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Develop on the platform that sellers trust. Support Square sellers by building apps for today's business needs. As a Square app partner, you can reach millions of business owners searching for trusted software solutions. As a Square solutions partner, you can get hired by sellers on the Square platform, find new clients, and build apps that meet their needs. Square loves developers. They work hard to enable you to launch fast with their developer tools. You get a full sandbox environment, an interactive API explorer, live event monitoring, backend SDKs for PHP, Ruby, Java, .NET, Python, and Node. You get secure payment SDKs for iOS, Android, React Native, and Flutter. You get it all. Learn more and get started at changelog.com slash square. Again, changelog.com slash square. Ben, you boys back. The creator of Feedbin Ben. February 17th, 2017 was the last time we talked. What's up, man? Yeah, it's been a long time. And uh, I think a lot of things have happened since then. It's good to be back, though. Thanks for inviting me. It's good to see you. For the first time. For the first time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> back then we were Skype audio only. Now we have full video. We get to see each other's faces. And it's kind of weird getting to know somebody in depth for a couple of hours and having like deep conversations about their work, their life, their thoughts. And then I think you and I emailed back and forth once when Feedbin wasn't working like I wanted it to. And it ended up being my mistake. I think I had malformed. I remember that. Malformed XML going on. And I was like, Ben, why is your thing broken? And he's like, actually, <laughs> your thing is broken. And he was right. But it's weird. Then like, you know, years go by and we haven't talked so mm. great to catch up but just a weird phenomena i guess of podcasting era of life i would say that's yeah. a podcasting thing because we talk to people a lot and then we don't talk to them 
again for potentially a year or more in this case. Yeah. But uh, new long-time listeners will know that we've recently have begun to say for B-backs, like Ben, you know, we call them B-backs. People come back right. to the show. Like Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. This is the first time we've seen you, you know, so this is a new thing I'd say over the last two years. So new long-time listeners of the last yeah. two years will now hear us say this here and there during our show where, hey, Ben, this is the first time we've actually seen you, but we have talked to you before. Yeah. Well, we can talk about new stuff, you know, we don't have to rehash anything. Well, we're going to talk about RSS, so we can't we can't avoid that, right? <laughs> I mean, we were talking about RSS last time. RSS is boring. We don't need we could gloss over that. They say yeah. that. It doesn't seem that's the case though. I heard that it's dead actually, so like Yeah. We should just let it go. It's it's definitely dead. How many deaths has it died? Is the question. <laughs> I mean, you had the one big death, which was when Google when Google Reader broke or shut down. That was like RSS's biggest death. Yeah. But that was like when Feedbin started, right? Around the same time frame. So like that was, for you, that was kind of like birth. A rebirth, yeah. Well, just to be clear too, the last show we did with Ben, the first and last, well, I guess most recent and first, had RSS resurgence in the title. So is it a re-resurgence? I'm not really sure. Or we're just here to talk about it again. Again. <laughs> we'll find out. Well, let's talk a little bit about Feedbin. So we had you on the show talking about Feedbin last time. We're talking about RSS. Longtime Feedbin subscribers. I'm a longtime Feedbin user. Still am. So five years. I'm a subscriber, less of a user. I'm like a daily user, which is a in-browser, also API style, paid for service that is an RSS reader. I'm sure you can describe it better than I am. Uh, I use it with an app on my phone, which is not built by you. I think I still use the reader. Yeah, a reader with two E's. That's a good one. To connect to Feedbin. And then I use it a browser tab. You know, mm. just get a little bookmark, open up Feedbin, read my feeds, and have been doing that happily uh, ever since. Adam also signed up, mm -hmm. I think probably around that same time because we convinced him to check out Feedbin. Yeah. But Adam, you don't use it. Well, I pay for it. <laughs> you pay for it, but you don't use it. So I was going to say, you know, as long as you're still sending a check. Literally since 2017, I've paid 30 bucks a year for it. So, right. Mm. So you're still paying him, but you don't use it. So I guess we can do a little bit of like a yin and yang here. We have a daily user and a non-user. And I guess part of this conversation around RSS is like, why do certain people love it, but most people don't use it still to this day? You know, what are the problems with it as a technology? Where does it thrive? Where is it continuing to thrive or starting to now? And some of this, I mean, we have now Feedbin authors. We have a creator of a RSS reader service slash app. We have users of that app, one person who uses it faithfully and the other one who's kind of fallen off, which happens from time to time mm -hmm. with software. It's like, well, let's psychoanalyze Adam. Why do you not use Feedbin now that Ben and I have you cornered? Well, I shared some of this with you, Jared, in terms of the pre-call for this. And I think it's because my feeds are overwhelming. It's not even Ben's fault. It's not the application's performance fault. In fact, Feedbin is amazingly fast. I cannot believe how fast this thing is. Like, it's just so fast. I mean, fast. <laughs> Is it fast? So it's not even Ben's fault or Feedbin's fault. I think it's just the fact that, you know, RSS is, even though I like it and love it, and, you know, as you know, Jared, our livelihood is dependent upon the fact that an MB3 gets delivered on the internet via an RSS feed. Right. Right. Despite my love for it, I still can't find a way to, like, truly, you know, reap the benefits, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's an aggregation issue. Like, what should I follow? Right. Because I'm following things that are overwhelming, Axios, you know, and crunch-based news, and I'm just pulling some out there, daring fireballs in there. 
Forbes Innovation. So not Forbes at large, but Forbes Innovation. So like what's happening in tech. Right. Hacker News, some stuff from Indeed's engineering blog. Kotke, I think that's just in there by happenstance. The Mozilla blog. Kotke's he's done. Is it? See, I didn't even know that. Jeez. Taking a break. He's taking a break. I'm still subscribed as well. Okay. I I hope he comes back at some point. He's on hiatus. Right. Indefinite hiatus at this point. We'll see what happens. The GitHub blog, the loop, the new stack. Uh, a couple, you know, individuals like Marco Armand and Right. Matt Mullenweg and Matt Rickard is is in my list. Which we'll talk about as well. CSS Tricks. We're going to have Chris on here shortly for the legacy of CSS Tricks. Yep. But like, I think the things I pay attention to are not a lot of signal in terms of like it's... A lot of noise. Right. It's, it's good publications. I'm not saying these are bad publications by saying they're right. noise, but it's a lot of information. More than I can keep up with, so I abandoned Probably similar to the people who subscribe to podcasts. They get too many in their feed. They're like, ah. Right. And the same phenomenon happens there as well. I think that's really common, the getting overwhelmed thing. I hear that a lot. And I mean, you're saying it's not Eben's fault. It's not Eben's fault. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, there could be something in there to like nudge you in a direction or something. Right. Mm. Like I personally don't like that because I, I want to stay away from like an algorithmic timeline or, um, you know, suggested content or that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I do think that's kind of the, the thing that a lot of the newer services are trying to address, like mm-hmm. a Facebook or a Twitter by um, just showing you what they think is going to keep you engaged. Right. But like, I mean, my, my suggestion, I was just talking to a friend about this the other day is like, just start with like, the really infrequently updated stuff. Like, honestly, you don't need to subscribe to anything that does news as its business because it's going to be instantly overwhelming. Yeah. And that's a perfect thing to just, there's going to be new stuff every day. You can always just go to their homepage and when you feel like it and see what's new. But the people that post once a week or once a month, that's like a sweet spot for RSS. And I think now that I think about it, there is a feature that could help you in Feedbin. You could go to the your subscriptions page, you could sort by post volume, and then just unsubscribe from the top 50%. Mm. Cut your list in half, like just, you know, immediately. Should I tell who's on the chalk block? God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I already know it's Hacker News. Uh, yeah. Well, Forbes. I don't have Hacker News on my list. Okay. Oh, I thought you said it was. Hacker Noon. Sorry, if you heard Hacker News. Oh, Hacker, Hacker, Hacker Noon. Noon. Okay, okay. Yeah, Hacker okay, that's Noon. different. The Verge is in there. Axios is in there. Wired's in there. Uh, the new stack. Free Code Camp? Come on. Can't let Free Code Camp go away. So let me just first add my amen to what Ben is saying. I also use it in that fashion. I've told you this, Adam. It's kind of a you're holding it wrong problem, mm-hmm. which is common. And one that I learned by experience is like when I had Hacker News in there, when I had The Verge in there, I would just quickly get overwhelmed by how many times they post. And so I moved. I just, I did yeah. what Ben is describing. I kind of did it ad hoc. Like as I got, I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of these. You know, then I'd go unsubscribe from. So anything that publishes news or aggregates news is probably not worth putting in there. You want individuals. You want infrequent authors. I subscribe to a bunch of individual engineers. They may not write but once or twice a year. But I don't have to worry about that because that, that one time that they publish, there it is. Mm-hmm. And so maintaining the signal to noise ratio is, I think, a big part of what makes an RSS reader's experience you know, good or bad. 
And Ben, one thing, I mean, I do not want algorithmic timelines in feed. Ben, if you switch to that, I would probably finally stop paying you money. <laughs> Adam would probably quit using it as he has and still pay you money. I still but, pay you. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is nice. But what might be a feature, if you're thinking, I'm curious if you put thought into like, I haven't been a first time user for years, like that first run, like getting started. Because a lot of the problem is like, you know, who do I subscribe to? What do I see when I first sign up? Yes. I got an empty feed here. What do I do about it? I'm, I'm sure you put some thought into those things, but I'm curious if you could have nudges in the UI or in the app that says, oh, you just subscribed to this publication. It publishes 12 times a day. Are you sure you want to do this? You know, <laughs> and you can say, yes, I'm sure. And then you just go ahead and let that happen. Yeah. Classifies a high frequency free feed, essentially. Like this is a feed that's high frequency. Kind of like putting in some, maybe not best practices, but like things that generally are playing to RSS strengths and not shooting yourself in the foot. Just like even just like little messages that says, hey, mm -hmm. have you thought about that kind of a thing? Or is that too much personalization or too much Ben's opinion in the software? Yeah, I mean, that's that is another thing that I just, you know, I, I just want to be so hands off and not presumptuous in any way. But it does lead to these kind of situations and um, probably is not the the best thing to do from a business standpoint, you know, I haven't, you know, spent any time growth hacking. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's leaving, leaving money on the table, but yeah, I mean, as far as getting started, I mean, definitely low volume is great, but also just put in what you're passionate about, you know, not don't subscribe to things aspirationally, you know, like, no, you're not, this isn't the year you're finally going to learn go. Um, <laughs> so go ahead and unsubscribe. <laughs> But just, you know, the stuff you actually do already love. Yeah. I guess since you mentioned business, what is the state of this application to your focus? I wouldn't say importance, but like your focus, because we may suggest during this show you do things that you're just unwilling. And I think this might be the larger problem we're thinking of with RSS, which is, is there enough enterprise incentive? And I don't even want to use the word enterprise, just business incentive for someone if it's not you, Ben, if it's someone to focus their efforts on iterating this user experience to give RSS a chance. And I think you have put the best foot forward of an indie dev. There's other things out there like Substack and folks who are obviously pushing the creator and email and RSS, you know, ball forward. But is this worth enough in terms of a business to put this effort in? Like, what's the state of the business for you, the application for you? Is it is it enough of a livelihood for you to even give more effort to? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, it's my full time job. I think about it every day, even if I don't work on it every day. Okay. And uh, I'm still a super enthusiastic user of the product. I mean, it's unfortunate. Like, there's a lot of great apps that work with Feedbin, and I feel like I just can't use any of them because I just you know I owe it to the business to just always use my own thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love it. So you would benefit then from these improvements benefit <laughs> from, you know, so I think about Shark Tank when they say no to certain deals, they say, I, that one would take too much marketing to get to market, or that would take too much X to really get the scale that a shark might want to do the deal. And I think of it kind of like here, like this idea that Jared just shared, which is like, just share the frequency. There's certain things about the experience of using RSS, whether you're someone like me who is well aware of what it is, how the technology even works. And then one, two, we, we're podcasters, so we actually leverage the technology as part of our business, you know, deeply. 
these are things that can on-ramp folks into the RSS experience, even discovery or your own index of like, hey, here were the, t- of all the people that use Feedbin in this category, here's the top five links of this week. Things that get people into the world of consuming content, which is powered by RSS. So they don't really have to care about RSS theoretically. You know, they have to care about how the, you know, subscribing to content is really what they're asking for, which really is RSS, right? But is it enough for you to kind of keep evolving? I didn't know it was your full-time job still yet. I wasn't aware, which is awesome because that makes me really happy because I want you to do well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been um, almost 10 years now. It'll be 10 years next wow. March. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Is it growing? Like when you say your customer base continues to grow or is it just reach a threshold that it can support? It is sustainable and has, has been that entire time. You know, things happen and, you know, there'll be like a lot of new people interested in signing up. You know, there's a thing two years ago where like everybody was staying at home all the time and there's a lot of news and that was like a huge um, growth period, for instance. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's receded somewhat since the beginning of the pandemic highs. But yeah, still very good place business-wise. You know, it's never um, really made sense to grow it beyond me and the designer I work with. But I think there's opportunity there. Like if I were, if I just wanted to chase the business, that's that's definitely something that can be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other RSS readers that are definitely going hard in that particular direction of just making like an enterprise play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I admire that from a business perspective, but then I despise it from a product perspective. What's, what's the position of disposition? Like, why, why do you despise it? And what about it do you despise? Well, because it wouldn't be something that I would want to use anymore. Mm-hmm. It would just be about making the money, I think. And there's definitely a lot of great enterprise tools that I would enjoy working on, but a news service for businesses is not one of them. Well, we mentioned Matt Ricker. That was one of the, his points was essentially business incentives work against RSS, which may be directly correlated to that. Uh, how do you say despise? Like, is it disposition? Obviously not. Like, but like, how do you say toward your, dis- toward your despise? His disposition is that he's despised. Is it disposition? <laughs> it's okay. I'm like, gosh, am I jacking my English up here? Yeah. So there you go. Like, well, I know what you meant, but yeah, right. I don't think, the, I don't, I don't think that's the right word now. I don't think it's the right word. It doesn't sound right. So, but Matt Rickard was on the show a while back, episode 463, uh, recently penned his thoughts on RSS, which he does. He, he blogs a lot. So he shared some bullet points and one of them was creator incentives work against RSS and business incentives work against RSS. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing there. Like if you go too hard in the paint, as an enterprise or as a larger business around RSS, it might be a product that you don't think should be out there for the creator economy, the creator world. Is that what you're saying? Because um, it doesn't match the user, the how things work. You're, it's just too enterprisey, basically, is, is how I grok what you said. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way I interpret Matt's points there, more like what's the incentive for larger businesses to publish RSS? Oh, I see. Like, how do you monetize your feed? Mm, right. And um, yeah, I, I think I think that is an issue. That's true. If you only consume process, you're you're going to be, you know, not hitting their ads. You're not going to be on their pages. You're, you're sort of circumventing, you know, all the things they put in place, which is the, you know, the ad marketplace. 
yeah, and people do things, you know, you can have a, like a paid feed, but that's a lot of overhead to manage. Uh, you can post excerpts and then you have to click through to read the full thing. I think that can be a good experience for the right content. But yeah, I mean, business incentives is something I don't, I don't think about at all because I think there's enough interesting content out there from individuals that have more to gain in terms of like uh, creating a personal brand or, you know, that just want to share what they're working on. My pushback on that business incentives not aligning would be, well, these businesses use Twitter. And Twitter is essentially an excerpt of whatever they're putting out there. It's awareness about the content or the idea being shared. So if if these businesses are willing to use Twitter, then they should be willing to use RSS in a similar fashion. That is if RSS has a fluid user interface that's reliable, that's well-known, you know, a scalable place to go, similar to the way Twitter is scalable, a place to go to consume the future news or what's happening today. Yeah. And that, well, that's something else that I think about. And uh, one of my goals with Feedbin is to make it omnivorous. So, you know, if people only want to post on Twitter, that's great because Feedbin can pull in tweets, you know, you can subscribe to your home timeline, individual accounts, save searches, all that stuff. Hmm. So wherever the content is, I want Feedbin to be able to go and get it, put it in one place for you. So when you pull in Twitter, do you pull it in according to whatever their API gives you back? Or can you pull it in chronologically? I guess, could you give people what they usually would want from Twitter, which is just a reverse chronological list of the tweets from the people they follow? Or you're just like, hey, Twitter, give me the timeline for Jared Santo and whatever they send you that goes in. Yeah, um, both, both of those things. The way I use it is just following individual accounts like you know at handles i see so you don't like put your twitter account into it you're just like i'm gonna follow this account in feedbin i see uh yeah I, I i personally do not do that because i like it separated out by who's posting just like a rss feed right but you absolutely can just subscribe to your entire home timeline and then it just shows up as like one feed mm-hmm. gotcha and i think it works really well in this context like i'd always experimented with thinking about how Twitter could work as RSS. And I don't know if you remember, but they used to. Twitter used to have RSS feeds, but I do remember. It wasn't a great experience because all you got was the text of the tweet. And it didn't look good, you know, it has like all the at junk hashtags, all that stuff. And then I was thinking about it, and I think the key to like making a tweet look good is all the metadata. You know, you have to have the profile picture. You have to have mm-hmm. when and where it was posted. You have to have you know separate out all the app mentions so they're not like part of the content. And then there's also some opportunities to like really expand a tweet because now you have a whole page available of screen real estate, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of things that came to mind immediately we're like oh, okay we can do like full bleed images just like right in the post body so instead of like you know a couple little thumbnails that you have to click to expand they're all just right there or like one of my favorite ways to use twitter was always about people that posted a lot of good links you know getting recommendations from mm-hmm. somebody whose taste you like is like one of the best things that you can use twitter for and like one of the things that 
Feedman does with the space available is if there's a link, it can like just go and fetch the text to that article and display it alongside the tweet. So you can read the whole thing without ever leaving Feedman. Right. That's all cool stuff. I think as a, as a reader, if we focus back in on the creation side for businesses, for even individual creators, the attraction of Twitter from a creator's perspective is the opportunity to have viral spread is the feedback loop, the instant feedback loop of likes and replies. It's the network, you know, like you're not going to get that with RSS feeds. Uh, so much so, I mean, you're not even gonna get subscriber counts. Like Twitter will tell you how many people are following you. And like, that's a nice metric, right? I mean, just, it's a simplified metric, mm -hmm. maybe not the most useful metric, but it's easy to follow and nice to, it feels good when it goes up. And RSS doesn't have those kinds of things because of the nature of the way it works. So much so that FeedBurner came along years ago. And even, I mean, the reason why everybody used FeedBurner wasn't because they couldn't publish their own feeds. It was because FeedBurner would give you a sneaking subscriber count. Like that's pretty much why people liked FeedBurner because they could point their RSS feed through FeedBurner and FeedBurner would give them that subscriber count, which they could then use that to attract advertisers, to feel good about themselves, to compare themselves to other people, whatever we do with our subscriber counts, right? That ended up being a, kind of a black hole because then FeedBurner got bought, bought by Google and it was quit getting worked on. I think it still works today, but like there was always these, what if it just completely stopped doing things? Your redirects all break and now your feeds are broken. Um, but I bring it up because it's like the, the tractor beam that is a little bit of analytics, a little mm -hmm. bit of knowledge of like who's reading my stuff. Yeah. Like that's what creators want. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's probably an opportunity here for you, though, Ben, because that's not what I'm seeing now. Like, it, I think growth for you could be, hey, creators, you know, let me tell you how many subscribers you have here on Feedbin. Let me tell you what your attention span is here on Feedbin. And it's not going to be an at large all of your RSS feeds. But, you know, as Feedbin's market share grows, you know, that number that represents that person's or that creator's feed becomes more and more significant because as Feedbin's, you know, market share grows, then that means more and more people are going to be using it. And if we paid attention to Feedbin in terms of our subscription to our RSS feeds, because you were growing, then you would get more of our attention as a creator. And we would begin to desire our audience to consume. Like I'm looking at Jared's Twitter handle in Feedbin now, and it's actually really good. Your content isn't good, Jared. Wow, I was going to say. <laughs> Feedbin's display, I'm just kidding. He's just saying you're handsome, I think. <laughs> what's what's really good is like, you know, he's a recent one. So we have a news edition to the show now. It comes out on Mondays. And so on the 18th, which was, was that today? That was two days ago. On Monday, you tweeted, hot the press. And you linked to it. And inside of Feedbin is not only your tweet, but the page you linked to. So changed all that FM, the page of the news feed. Now, one thing that is missing from that section is the actual audio, but that's probably not your fault. It might be our fault. However, the point is, is us as creators knowing how well this works in there and knowing that you're growing and you care about creators as well as consumers, we might put more and more effort to make our experience, our content experience better inside Feedbin, therefore giving you more market, more audience. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good strategy. I definitely have to think a lot about the 
privacy implications of that. Like once I start mm -hmm. storing like, you know, articles that get read and how long they get read for. But, right. you know, I, I consider this uh, just like a RSS reader best practice. Feedman and many other readers actually do report subscriber counts. And the way it's typically done, and the way Feedman does it, is just in the request header. You know, there's like, a, if you look at your server logs, you'll see like a X Feedbin subscriber count thing with the with the actual number. Now, you got to parse server logs like it's 1999, but, um, <laughs> but it is there. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there's been, there was a company that was trying to do this as a service, like almost as a feed burner competitor, mm -hmm. where they would aggregate all of those RSS subscriber headers for you. I don't know if they exist anymore, but, but it, there's been attempts that have been made, like people who want to like attract the, um, the bigger fish to it mm -hmm. but you know like i said like I, I i don't i don't know i don't know that that's that that's a great thing you know like bigger fish are also like bigger publishers with a lot of posts and right and like we were saying earlier that's not always the best fit kind of goes against the the ethos yeah well that's the problem ben because you have personal opinions that somewhat <laughs> overlap with your product opinions and those two don't always have the best overlap in the Venn diagram. So I can appreciate your opinion, but you kind of have to wear two hats, right? Yeah, but at the end of the day, he's got to sleep well at night. So like that hat has to no, I'm not out. saying don't sleep well at night by any means. I'm not saying that. <laughs> the product can't always just be for you, though. It, it can be for you, but it can't. So for example, I'll take us. Like we're a creator. I would say Jared and I are individuals, but we have a brand called Changelog. If we wanted to have more of our subscribers use it to consume their, our podcast because it's a good web version of it or because they use RSS feeds anyways and we want to improve that experience, then I think that would be a net positive for you for us to say, hey, you know what? One other great alternative view is one, you can subscribe to at changelog via Feedbin and you get our tweets, those things pull in pages of audio, all this cool stuff because of just how Twitter works. Like if we promoted that, it, was, it would be a net positive for you despite us being a high frequency feed. Because I got to imagine our Twitter plus our podcast feeds and the news feed would be high frequency and kind of goes against the whole point of earlier. It's like, that's why I bailed. So I get that. But that's an opt-in. If someone subscribes to us for those reasons, that's an opt-in. And they may get overwhelmed. That's the just, I guess, the nature of subscribing to content. Same thing with Twitter. Right now I'm kind of overwhelmed with them algorithm uh, me I, I just like the, the algorithm has got me deep so i'm like unsubscribing to these things that i never even asked for which is like tags and somebody tweeted this right. like viral tweets yeah like give me my time we line. thought you would like this viral tweet it's like you were wrong i did not like this viral tweet <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's part of iteration and product too and experimentation but by no means am i saying don't sleep at night you know i don't want you to take the hat off completely but you you have to wear two hats one which just says i'm the business owner how do we grow and then two, I'm Ben. I want to enjoy the product. How do those two coincide, and how can I build a product that, that supports both of those? And it is it is a conflict, and um, I think to a fault, I come down on the side of of going with with my opinion on the thing, even if it is like mm -hmm. probably not the best business idea. Mostly just because like of how like Feedman got started, you know, just kind of accidentally being in the right place at the right time with Google Reader shutting down like two days after the, the launch. And uh, I just kind of, 
instead of like immediately trying to figure out what the thing to do is to capitalize on that, I just doubled down on like making the thing that I want to use, like, like always, that's like my first choice. Mm-hmm. And um, it just felt like the right thing to do mm-hmm. and still does. I agree. I mean, we make podcasts that we think people will like, but also it begins with us right. liking the content. Like we could probably make podcasts that more people will listen to. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, but we don't want to. We, we're not like, what do you want? Let's just give it to you. It's more like, yeah. what do you want? And what do we want to give you? The cross section. How do those overlap? And somehow there's, yeah, exactly. There's a crossover there. That, yeah. That we, we've got to enjoy what we produce. The way I always thought about it is if I am going to work on somebody else's dream, then I could just go get a job somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. So this thing is, is my dream. And, uh, and I get to decide what goes into it. This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. With the launch of their Code Insights product, teams can now track what really matters in their code base. Code Insights instantly transforms your code base into a queryable database to create visual dashboards in seconds. And I'm here with Joel Kortler, the product manager of Code Insights for Sourcegraph. Joel, the way teams can use Code Insights seems to pretty much be limitless, but a particular problem every engineering team has is tracking versions of languages or packages. How big of a deal is it actually to track versions for teams? Yeah, it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. The first is, of course, just compatibility. You don't want things to break when you're testing locally or to break on your CI systems or test systems. You need to have some sort of level of like version unification and minimum version supported, and all of that needs to be you know, compatible forward. But the other thing we learned was that for a lot of customers, especially you know engineering organizations that are pretty established, they have older versions of things or even older versions of like SaaS tools they don't use anymore that they haven't fully removed because they're like not sure if it's still in use or they you know lost focus on that. And they're spinning up old virtual machines that they're still paying for. Or they're using you know old SaaS subscriptions they're afraid to cancel because they're not sure if anyone's actually using it. And so getting off of those versions not just like saves you the headaches and the risks and the vulnerabilities of being on old versions, but also literally the money of you know older systems running more slowly or the build times or you know virtual machines and SaaS tools that you're no longer using before you had this ability we talked to teams there are basically three ways you could do this you could slack a million people and ask for just like an update point in time you could have sort of one human and one spreadsheet where like it's somebody's job every friday or every two weeks to just like search all the code and find all the versions and write it down in a google sheet or there were a couple of companies that I came across with in-house systems that were sort of complicated. You had to know, you know, maybe Kotlin, but you didn't know Kotlin. But if you wanted to use this system, you had to learn Kotlin and you'd have to sort of build the whole world from scratch and run basically a tool like this with a pretty steep learning curve. And now for all three of those, you could replace it with a single line Sourcegraph search, which is basically just the name of the thing you're trying to track and the version string in the right format. And then we have templates that'll help you get started if you're not sure what that format is. And then it'll automatically track all the different versions for you, both historically. So even if you start using it today, you can see your historical patterns. And then of course, going forward. 
Very cool. Thank you, Joel. So right now there is a treasure trove of insights just waiting for you. Living inside your code base right now. Teams are tracking migrations, adoption, deprecations. They're detecting and tracking versions of languages and packages. They're removing or ensuring the removal of security vulnerabilities. They understand their code by team. They can track their code smells and health. And they can visualize configurations and services and so much more with Code Insights. A good next step is to go to about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. See how other teams are using this awesome feature. Again, about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. This link is in the show notes. beauty of RSS and the open web, which RSS is a part of, is that Feedbin is not RSS, right? It's not the RSS experience. Like the, You just happen to be the one that's on our show right now. And so, of course, we're grilling you on ideas and changes and <laughs> yeah. stuff. But like, there's tons of people that are doing RSS readers. Yeah. Uh, Feedly is much bigger in terms of like, they're more of the enterprise play. I haven't looked at what they offer as a product in a long time because I've been a happy user of yours. But I know there's like every time RSS comes back up, people will list, here's what I use. And there's like, you know, a dozen of them. And there's probably way more that people don't list. Just like whenever you look at the top podcasts, you know, there's always like a dozen or so. And then there's like a whole bunch of them that people listen to and enjoy. Yeah, I think I think there's a long tail for sure. So I guess, I mean, my point is, of course, we're not saying you have to do all these things or should do all these things or like, you know, RSS depends on you, Ben, you boys. Otherwise, it's going to continue as is. I think mm-hmm. we try it, we enjoy and we try to talk about ways we can make this technology and this kind of an ecosystem better for all of us so that we can have a, a an alternative to what we currently have, which is siloed, big tech, algorithm-driven, ad-driven social experiences on the web. And RSS as a technology, we all know, is the underpinnings of lots of things. But as a reader, as a social network, it is not. It could be a social network. It could be Mm -hmm. your personally curated, chronologically timelined, beautiful, safe, quote-unquote safe, social network. It could be all of ours. And it's not quite that. And every time we get mad at all the social networks that be, we say, why can't we just all use RSS? Like we have one, it's right there. And so then the next step is like, well, it's lacking some stuff though. Here's what it's missing. And some of what it's missing is what makes it beautiful, but some of what it's missing is what makes it suck, right? Not be sticky. Jared, that's a great way to put it, Matt. Everything he just said is what I've been trying to say all along. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> that's why we're a team. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like it, it's what is missing you know, say it again, Jared. What what it's missing is its downfall, but what it's also missing is its suck. You know, like it's yeah. It can be. It can be. There's certain aspects of it, like the discovering. Discoverability is a big problem. Like I said, like you're on Twitter because you want to go viral. Well, when you go viral, somebody puts your content in some in front of somebody else, and they also enjoy that content, right? Right. And now they've discovered you, and they're like, wow. This Adam Stack guy has interesting things to say. I'm going to follow him. So much good stuff. Yes. But how does that, how can we get some of that stuff with our federated, distributed, non-centralized RSS technology? 
You know, it's, we're kind of stuck like it's 1999. I'd say from someone with taste like Ben, that, and that's why I think you might even be well positioned for this because while it may not necessarily be the hat that Ben you boys wants to wear, the Ben you boys who runs the business has good taste and you have good morals, which you've built this product on. So you might be the best person positioned to do these things because you're not going to compromise and crumble for the dollars. You're going to compromise and crumble in the positive ways for the network effects of creators and the consumers. Cause it's a net positive for, for everyone really. And feedback gets to be at the center point. I like that. I like that. Well, one of the things um, he mentioned was uh, about discovery and I have a question for both of you, which is like, who does do discovery? Well, like you look at companies that have, thrown so many bodies and so much money at the problem yeah and like if you sign up for a new twitter account today it's like who do they recommend you follow like i don't know the president of the united states and a celebrity it's like that you're not going to have a great experience by following those those people facebook i guess was successful for a while i guess they still are and they have billions of people on there but i don't know i mean my parents use it but that's all the people i know tiktok people like that kind of thing it's a good question I mean, I think I would say TikTok and YouTube are probably doing discovery best, even though they're optimized for things that are maybe not the most uplifting or net positive. They're, they do discovery. They do engagement. I think more often than not, a YouTube algorithm is going to uh, hit me on the nose and TikToks more so than Twitters. And I don't use Facebook. I'll say Instagrams because I do use Instagram. And it's a Facebook product. That doesn't mean they're actually doing it all that well. I think... I think good discovery comes from your friends. Like it comes from your already existing social network. And so, you know, even with podcasts to this day, I personally learn about podcasts from people who listen to podcasts and talk about them to me. And most people who said, who find us, they say, yeah, my colleague at work sent me a link to the show. I gave it a listen. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the discovery, I think that's the best is it's like personally curated by people that know you. And so that's why I think that social network of other people who are like-minded, like you said, Ben, you like to follow people on Twitter who are good link finders, right? They're going to find good content and they're going to curate content. They're going to find the stuff that you like better than uh, the current algorithms that be. And so maybe the answer for a feed bin or for the RSS ecosystem isn't necessarily like who has the best algorithm, like what algorithm could Ben come up with? to suggest content, but it's more like, how can we better cross the networks that we have, the personal social networks that we currently already have in order for us to share? So Adam and I were talking yesterday. He likes my feed bin because I just tell him like, isn't that what you said? Like, yeah, I wish I had your some of your subscriptions. Yeah, I wish I can somehow know what your feed is so I can just pick and throw what is in your list because there may be things that you like that I want right. to check out and there's things that you like I don't want to check out. The technological move right now is like, well, you can, I'll export my OPML <laughs> and you can import it. But it's like, that's not going to be a general purpose kind of a social networky thing. Or maybe there are tools, Ben, that we don't know about, like for sharing and promoting, like even saying like, share this with my, I think with Google Reader, there was kind of a thing where you could like subscribe to other people's shared or starred or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, for the OPML thing, there's been attempts to do like a OPML hub sort of a thing. I don't, I don't think anything ever caught on. Right. The Google, I think one of the things people really liked about it is the it did have kind of a mini 
social network for a time. Like they yeah. they eventually stripped all that out, like in favor of like a I don't know. Does anybody remember Google Plus? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, but that's that's something that people loved. And but I think like what made that work is that Google Reader was free and enough people were on it that you could count on your friends being there. Right. And like, I don't feel like Feedbin is really in that place where there's like, there's not enough users for that to have critical mass. Everybody you know is on there. Uh, maybe, maybe like a free service could do it. Yeah. That's a chicken and egg on two sides where like you, Jared has to get enough value from using Feedbin to then be my friend and share his experience with me for me to say, I want to try it too. So that's the thing. Like, you know, you, you're not going to get growth on that front if, you know, just if, if you don't have a way for people to like cross pollinate with one another in in ways, yeah, it's it's an absolute challenge. It really is to, yeah, to sort of like not be a social network, but yet give social features. Yeah, that'd be a cool thing to figure out. The starred thing, you can do that. So there's a starred feed. You know, there's people who publish theirs like on their personal website. Like you know, just that's cool. What is this start feed? What is this? Uh, it just um, creates yet another RSS feed of anything that you star inside of Feedbin. So, like, you know, star is just like a lightweight bookmarking right. feature. So you can refer back to something later. But then, yeah, so then this feed exists at its own private URL. But you can share that with somebody who can then put it into whatever their RSS feeder may be. It doesn't even have to be Feedbin. I don't even know how to do that, though. So I see the star feed. How do I even give it to somebody else, then? Copy the link. What's a link? Just kidding. The old universal resource locator. So that's pretty cool. I think if there was, like, a way of saying, okay, check across, like, um, inside of the, of the product, like, I would also like to see other people's stars. You know, even something that simple. Now, that could be a privacy situation where, like, well, I don't want people knowing my stars, and so maybe you have to decide whatever, how your stars are going to work. And so it gets complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe multiple levels, like a, like a public and private right. situation. Because if it, even if it wasn't like, okay, so one problem is if it's a free service, it may have 10x, maybe 100x the users. And so the likelihood of my friends or my colleagues or people that I already have a social graph with being on there would be much higher. And so a paid service like Feedbin, much smaller. Okay, so maybe then the small play whatever the user base is, is what if I could just see like the most starred stuff by everybody? That might be a place where like, okay, I can go trawling through there. It doesn't have to be people I know, but because it's not that big, maybe it's just like, hey, you know, this article was starred by 75 people. Like that's signal to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Now you do have privacy implications there, but now you can start to show me things. And I wouldn't say necessarily like insert that then into my feed bin feed, but maybe there's another subsection called, you know, most starred in the feeds list that I could go check when I was interested. Yeah. Well, again, I think there's like a, there's like a scale and diversity problem really, which is like, if you, if you do look at the numbers of like, what's something that has a lot of stars, it's like, it's not really a surprise. It's like, you know, what's, what's the latest thing on like during fireball or something or another big blog right? Uh, that everybody's already subscribed to anyway. So in terms of like, you know, I think you need to, there needs to be a way to find like the, the less uh, obvious stories somehow. Right. You almost need to go out and find curators. Yeah. And say, hey, I really like your taste in this subculture that I don't follow right. myself. But I think when I look at what you're sharing, it's it's really high quality stuff. Could you be a 
Feedbin curator. And well, oh, what does that mean? Oh, I give you a free account maybe or whatever you, you know, whatever it is. And you just star the stuff that you're going to share. And now you have like almost editors. And I mean, that doesn't super scale, but it kind of at the size that we're talking about, it could potentially be feasible. It's a lot of work though, Ben. That's a lot of work. Ben, you asked the question, where do you see, uh, I guess, discovery? Was I think what your question was for us? Yeah. And I thought about Overcast. Because whenever you go, when you're in Overcast and you want to add a new feed, the first thing you do is search the directory. But before, along with that page of searching a directory, you also get suggestions. And there's suggestions for you. There's most starred. And then there's podcasts that are in, you know, categories. Society and culture, business, news, history, tech, all that good stuff. So I can go into the technology section when I go to the process of discovery, which is ultimately adding a new podcast to my queue or feeds very similar to feed bin and in that list i get all the different tech podcasts that are being suggested by the platform overcast yeah and how do you like those suggestions i don't mind it well when i go to the technology section the change holds in there so i'm really happy um <laughs> that's all it takes that's all it takes all it to takes. see your own so, stuff in there you're like this is a good recommendation and yeah, if they could also throw in like js party and that's yeah, right. exactly it could be better <laughs> it, it could be, be better, better. <laughs> oh, wait, there it is. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I do see what I would consider relevant podcasts that I would either A, listen to, or at least recommend if somebody wanted to listen to. I mean, I listen to a person. I can say, hey, this show, X, Y, or Z from whomever, it, yeah, it's great. It's out there. I don't listen to it, but if you want that content, it's probably a good piece of content that you can check out or, or pay attention to. So I think that's good for discovery, personally. I mean, there's some sort of overlap there, which is how do you discover through your user base what is Signal and how do you as a platform partner with those creators and give them exposure? Because what you want is more good content creators out there who get value from platforms like yours so that more people enjoy products that you create, right? And without that, you know, your growth metric may stagnate or decline and it's not like, hey, Ben, save your job, but more like RSS has stood the test of time. It's died. It's lived. It's had a resurgence. It's had a re-resurgence again. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's been everywhere in between. And it is the protocol that will never die because it hasn't yet. It's been resilient. And everything of that is the epicenter of what you're building. And so it's just a matter of how to get people to subscribe to content that is outside the over-algorithmed, over-engineered, over-privacy, anti-privacy social networks that just don't ultimately pay out. They may be a good mechanism for discovering new people, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, etc. I use all those platforms. They're all great in their own right. However, I think there's room in there for RSS to improve, and I think it begins with folks like you. It begins with you, Ben. You and people like you. Well, there's a cross-section here which I think will lead into another part of this conversation because as Adam has said, our livelihood at this point, which didn't start this way, and we're thankful that it is this way, it relies on RSS as a technology. There's kind of two conversations that overlap, which is like RSS as a consumption slash sharing mechanism, right? As a network, which we think has is the thing that has died and, and come back to life and died. And really at this point, it's limping along. I mean, very few people use it in comparison to even the small social networks like Twitter. Twitter is a small social network in comparison. It's uh, louder than the other ones, so it gets a lot of press. But user-wise, I mean, it's, it's an order of magnitude less than what how many people are on Facebook, but still huge in comparison to people that use readers like Feedbin. 
but the technology has stood the test of time. It is used. It's it's under attack, of course, in the podcasting space. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spotify very much, I think, would like to get rid of RSS, and Apple doesn't seem to care one way or the other, which is kind of why it has thrived for many years because Apple made it a thing that was used and then ignored it for a very long time. I mean, almost no changes to the way podcasting worked inside of Apple Podcasts for a decade, maybe 15 years until recently. They're trying to do some stuff now. But the podcasting folks are making moves. I mean, I'm not sure, Ben, you have been working in the podcasting world. We should talk about some of the stuff you've been working on uh, recently. I'm excited to hear about it. But there are people like with uh, the podcasting 2.0 movement now where they're trying to like, bring up the podcasting part of the RSS spec to like modern technology and fill some of the gaps mm-hmm. that what podcasters need in 2022 and beyond. And so they're like developing and changing it. RSS hasn't changed for a long time. I'm not even sure who the working group is. Maybe Ben, you know, or like how that whole deal works right now. I know there's RSS versus Adam years ago and RSS one and RSS has just not changed as a spec that I know of for many, many years mm-hmm. and podcasting as a namespace of that spec or as an implementation of that spec is starting to change via grassroots efforts. And I'm speaking specifically of the podcasting 2.0 stuff. Have you been following that at all or know what they're working on with the new podcasting namespace? No, I, I haven't heard of uh, podcasting 2.0. Okay. So it is led by Adam Curry and Dave Jones and they've been working on podcastindex.org, which is a completely free, open podcasting index. By their own words, they're here to preserve, protect, and extend the open, independent podcasting ecosystem. And they've been working on basically additions, a podcasting namespace where they're going to be adding new elements, new tags, stuff that's been missing. And they've already added a bunch of them. We've implemented a few things like transcripts, things like chapters, things like actual author credits where you have like rich objects for the people who are on the shows, not just the not just the hosts and guests, but also other people involved in the creation of the podcast. So one thing that could be cool about podcasting is following a person around perhaps. So they have this people who are guests, like they don't have their own podcast, but they're on a lot of different shows because they're interesting people. And so you could then subscribe to a podcast guest would be a good example. I, I like that. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe Tim Ferriss. Like maybe you already listened to all of the Tim Ferriss shows, but also he's a guest on other shows. Well, can I subscribe to Tim Ferriss in my podcast app? Well, with podcasting 2.0. You know how much time I would save me on YouTube? Honestly, I would spend, I would spend, uh, you know, days, weeks, months just scrolling YouTube forever, <laughs> waiting for the next thing of my, you know, of this person I'm paying attention to currently. Of your favorite creator. Yeah. If I could just subscribe to them on shows rather than death scrolling forever on YouTube, TikTok, et cetera, OMG, I would get better sleep and my life would be improved by 10X. I'm being facetious a little bit there, but the <laughs> point is like, I do scroll. I'm like, you know, when is the next thing so-and-so will say X, you know? And I just want to see them on other shows and hear more of what they have to say because I want to hear the circumference of their opinion about X. Yeah, no, that's a good feature. There, I mean, there's some people like that that I, that I try to follow and like this feature someone exists with listen notes are you familiar with ListenNotes.com? yes uh they also they sell uh access to like a podcast directory right 
I'm not sure what they sell and how they sell it. I know that we're in there. I know that you can see different episodes. I know that you can pay attention to named folks. I'm not sure if you can subscribe to them, but I know if you wanted to find, you know, Dave Jones or Adam Curry on podcasts, you can just go to listennotes.com and like plug their name in essentially. And you'll see them on their own shows and other shows too. Yeah, actually, Listen Notes is an interesting company. It's also like a one-person operation. Right. I think the um, creator lives in SF also. But yeah, like there's like interesting stuff on their blog about the infrastructure and backend things that I find fascinating because like that's the exact situation that I'm in. So I love to see how other people do that at that scale of one. Right. And there's other, I mean, there's VC-backed things as well, Podchaser, is one that I think is similar to Listen Notes, but was backed and personally, you know, recently acquired by a larger entity. And there's a lot of acquisitions going on in the space. So, like, there's a lot of hubbub around podcasting. There's money flowing in and out. People trying to solve some of these quote unquote problems. Really, a lot of them are enterprise things, which us little folk don't care about all that much. But there are cool stuff like transcripts getting in there. I think the chapters which we're working on uh, internally here, chaptering trailers, uh, location, sound bites, uh, funding. So there's like this whole value for value thing they're working on where you can actually stream money to people as you listen to them. So, you know, non-advertising based models. I guess the point is like, there's a lot of people trying to make podcasting better. And specifically the podcast index is trying to do that by like, Hey, we don't have to stand still with the technology. We mm. can build upon the technology. It's built to be extendable via namespaces and so what if we create a new podcast namespace and like start to extend it via the old open source model of like here's a github org here's a working group let's implement some stuff let's start supporting it and get app creators involved so like they're they're out there getting different podcasting apps to support these new features and i don't think there's anything like that in like the pure rss world of like readers Mm. Do you know of anything, Ben, or is that just like it's been stagnant? It has been fairly stagnant for a long time. The biggest thing that I think hasn't really taken off was an attempt to kind of redefine RSS, which is an XML-based format, uh, as uh, JSON. Mm. And uh, I, I really like that. Like, Feedbin supports it, did from like pretty much the beginning, uh, just because like, XML is hard, you know, like it's hard to read, it's hard to parse, and it can be really complex with the namespace thing, especially mm -hmm. if you want to like do that in a valid way where you're following the document definition, uh, where JSON, like anything, can parse JSON, you know. Right. Is it the jsonfeed.org? Is that what that is? jsonfeed.org, yeah, by uh, Manton Reese and uh, Brent Simmons. Yeah, I, we support that as well. But then, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't really extend it. It just kind of re, re implements it. Well, then you have like a browser war issue thing. Like it, the way browsers have progressed, which I imagine the same way readers will progress, is one, how big is their market share? And two, do they adhere to this new suggested? You know, even if it's a rede redefining of the RSS, do they support it? You know what I mean? Because if the biggest behemoth in the reader space yeah. begin to support that new spec, well, then it's got a lot more going for it to be supported by others because, you know, it's got a large user base, they got yeah. features, whatever. Like it becomes almost a browser war 
scenario in terms of like, oh, that Chrome has this feature. Does Safari have this feature? No. Well, then Safari is bad because Chrome has supported this feature. You know, it becomes like a better or less than because of a feature being supported. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. Like that, that would be good, I think. But then there's also like a chicken and an egg problem, which is like, you know, if you're creating a spec, you're in outer space and like you just throw stuff back down to earth and hope people pick it up. So it's, I mean, it's really on them to like make something compelling with what they're trying to do. Like, right. You know, the, the browser wars, you know, I think the, what working group and CSS working group, like they come up with like really compelling stuff all the time that like make developers lives better. And I think there is a big incentive for browsers to implement that. It also helps that there's like essentially like, you know, two or three rendering engines right now. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, there's a million RSS readers and a million podcast players. So right, like getting that uptake is, I think, the challenge there. Totally. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Retool. Retool helps teams focus on product development and customer value, not building and maintaining internal tools. It's a low-code platform built specifically for developers. No more UI libraries, no more hacking together data sources, and no more worrying about access controls. Start shipping internal apps that move your business forward in minutes with basically zero uptime, reliability, or maintenance burden on your team. Some of the best teams out there trust Retool, Brex, Coinbase, Plaid, DoorDash, Legal Genius, Amazon, Allbirds, Peloton, and so many more. The developers at these teams trust Retool as their platform to build their internal tools, and that means you can too. It's free to try, so head to retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog. And by our friends at MongoDB, the makers of MongoDB Atlas, the multi-cloud application data platform. Atlas provides an integrated suite of data services centered around a cloud database designed for scale, speed, and simplicity. You can ditch the columns and the rows once and for all and switch to a database loved by millions for its flexible schema and query API. When you're ready to launch, Atlas layers on production-grade resilience, performance, and security so you can confidently scale your project from zero to one. Atlas is a truly multi-cloud database. Deploy your data across multiple regions simultaneously on AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. Yes, you heard that right. Distribute your data across multiple cloud providers at the same time. The next step is to try Atlas free today. They have a free forever tier. Prove to yourself and your team that the platform has everything you need. Head to mongodb.com slash changelog. Again, mongodb.com slash changelog. that you know atom was a much more complicated and featureful format and rss versus atom was the vhs versus betamax you know was the hddd versus blu-ray or whatever 
and RSS one. RSS stands for really simple, you know, syndication. And so it seems like it won because it was simpler. I wasn't paying close attention back then during the Atom versus RSS wars of yesteryear. I know that people would just do both and kind of like mm-hmm. as, as creators, like you just publish both feeds and Adam was always like complicated in comparison. And so, you know, you have to be weary of making RSS, you know, too complicated by adding more things. But like you said, like by using it, we've been with it for many years now. And so like we know what things that might be nice to have. Like what if we could just get the whole subscriber thing somehow figured out with current RSS technology? Maybe it's the headers thing, but you're not providing some sort of end user way of parsing those out. I know we do grab those out of our user agent strings because we have a custom CMS that we built ourselves. And so, yeah, we know how many people subscribe to Founders Talk in Feedman. And we got to work on that that number, Ben. We got to get that number up. Do you actually subscribe to podcasts inside of Feedman? I don't. I don't personally. Uh, yeah, you can. Yeah. Tell us the number, Jerry. What's the number? <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you. Two. Two people have subscribed to Founders Talk via Feedman. So partially Adam's fault, <laughs> partially Gosh. Ben's fault, and partially just reality. I'm going to make it three right now. <laughs> You're going to subscribe to yourself. That's how we really hack our growth well, around here. I want to know how the experience of it, really. Because I think this is where I don't want to go back to a point. I really think there's an opportunity to have similar incentives as a creator and as Ben as the platform creator, like the, this this tool. I think I want to know how my experience is in there as the creator sure, so that I can suggest it to people as one yet, yet one more way to consume a good experience of the podcast if – you know, if you don't want to go on Chainsaw.com or if you don't want to subscribe via an iOS or an Android app, which is probable. The most subscribed place for most podcasts is on a mobile device, desktop probably being second, and web listens probably third. Maybe desktop is actually, web listens probably second, and some sort of feed bin is a third. But I would say mobile, 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 and then web. <laughs> mobile, yeah. And like there's like three people listening to it on our desktop. Yeah. I do know that Feedbin has a really nice podcast support. I always make sure our stuff renders in there and I can hit play and it goes down in the corner. I can keep reading and listening. Yeah. And so I know you put some special work into that kind of stuff, Ben, but you've been doing like, you have a whole nother podcast initiative going on. You've been, you, you teased me in the email. What, what are you working on with regards to podcasting? Yeah. So this has been in the works for a while now. Like I was saying earlier, I, uh, taken the approach of making, Feedbin omnivorous. So, you know, at first it was just RSS, uh, then uh, newsletters, because I felt like, you know, it's better to read it in a reading environment than in your email app. Then like Twitter and uh, YouTube feeds actually have some custom stuff to make them work nicely in there as well, too. And podcasts. But the podcasting component always felt unfinished to me, like you were mentioning before, that the main place people go to listen to podcasts is in a mobile app. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to go where the where the people are. And so I made a podcast client. It syncs with Feedbin. It's for uh, iPhone and iPad only currently. And it's uh, all goes well. It's launching next week. Nice. Nice. So it syncs with Feedbin like if you want it to or like you sign up through Feedbin. It's like a Feedbin client or is it a standalone thing that also works with Feedbin? Yeah, so there's three kind of ways you can use it. The original idea was that it would be for 
Feedbin customers. You know, you're already paying for a Feedbin subscription. How can I like add value to your subscription? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a Feedbin account, you can sign into the app. It's no additional cost. And then you manage your podcast subscriptions and playback in the app. But, you know, I also wanted to um, see if it was interesting to more people. Like people, I think podcasting probably has a broader uh, audience than RSS does. So, right. you know, what about like people that want to use the app but don't want to have a Feedbin account? So then to support that, uh, the app is is free for everybody. You can download it and use it forever without paying anything. And then if you want to have sync but not have a Feedbin subscription, there's going to be a, an in-app option to subscribe to the sync service. It'll use Feedbin on the back end. It'll be less costly than a Feedbin subscription. And it'll just provide sync across devices. Hmm. So, you know, trying the freemium mm-hmm. model with it. Right. Essentially. Cool. How long have you been working on that? Off and on for about a year now. Uh, I started in the summer of last year. Okay. Um, I was interested in checking out um, kind of native development with uh, Swift UI. And uh, so that's what the app is written in. Uh, it's a really interesting experience. You know, my background is in web development and uh, it's very different doing on-device stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the the concept for the app is like initially I was thinking like, you know, my kind of internal barometer for where podcast apps are at is like there's a lot of really good ones and powerful ones, but I was feeling like they were almost too powerful and starting to get into like uh, almost a complex territory. Mm. And when I think about how I use podcasts, you know, like really all I want is a player screen and I'm going to hit play and then I'm going to listen to an episode and then it's going to play the next one. And then when I'm done listening for the day, I'm going to hit pause and then I'm going to do the same thing over again. So I'm like, can there be an app that's just a player screen? And the answer is no. <laughs> you need some kind of management, right? Well, you tried, you tried. Yeah. You need to be able to get podcasts on the device right so then it's like okay well how do you do that you know you need to integrate with a with a directory you need to be able to search that directory and then um you need some kind of queue or playlist for like what order the things are going to be in and you need to be able to edit that queue Mm. and then you know when i think about how i listen to podcasts there's kind of two types of shows i listen to there's the shows where i listen to every episode which I call and in, in the app is uh, it's called a subscription. And then there's um, shows where I'll listen to an occasional episode and where I'll like check in once in a while, see if anything looks interesting to me and then add that to the queue. And those I call bookmarks. And then with those two things in place, I felt like it was kind of like the, you know, people talk about a minimum viable product a lot, but a term I came across recently for this stage is SLC product, which is simple, lovable, and complete. And that's where I want to start with this, you know, just have it get the basics right, have a nice experience, and then, you know, see how people like it, see what's missing, mm-hmm. and, uh, and keep going. Wasn't that idea shared on JS Party recently, Jared? Simple, lovable, and complete? It was shared on something. It was a clip I saw. I, th- I could have swore it was you even saying it. It might have been changed log news. And it was a guest. I believe it was on JS Party. 
I don't know. It might have been changelog news. It's actually, it's funny that you bring it up, Ben, because I just recently heard of that concept of simple, lovable, and complete as being a better framing over minimum viable. And it might have been through changelog news. It could have been JS Party. I don't know. I think it might have been changelog news now that you say it. It all melds together at some point. It does, because that's what happens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember either where yeah. I saw it. There's some good merits to your idea, though, for sure. Yeah, your double-headed concept makes sense to me because that's also how I listen. I have like my subscriptions, and then I have the shows that I just want to keep around and just check what they've been up to lately. And maybe there was a good guest or interesting topic, you know. And I, but I don't yeah. listen week in, week out, or day in, day out, whatever, however often they publish. So I think subscriptions and bookmarks is are good concepts for a the starter of a simple, lovable, and complete. I'm sure there's lots of other things that I think complete is the C, right? Like, gosh, that's the hard part, you know, like thorough You're right? and not, and just like polishing every corner so that it's complete. Like what you have, the idea there being the things that are in the app are like completely fleshed out ideas, right? Yeah. Well, I, I saw an illustration that went along with the idea, which is like, like a skateboard, a bicycle and a car. Like a skateboard is complete, but it certainly doesn't have all the features that a car does, but it can be used in its current state while, you know, while the next thing is being built. Right. Or even just the concept of a board, trucks, and four wheels. You know, another version of the skateboard could be, you know, the one where it's, I don't even know what it's called, but it's got only two wheels, one wheel in the front, one wheel in the back, and you can kind of wiggle to to, to, to board. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it's a ripstick. Ripstick. Yes, yeah, a ripstick. My kids love those things. It's on the concept of a skateboard. Right. But it's another variation of it. You know, that's an innovation above and beyond the board, trucks, and four wheels concept. It's complete as is, but you had two more wheels, now it's a skateboard. Or two less wheels, technically. And it one in the front, one in the back. How's it going the other way? That's even simpler. That's right. But, it's, like it's taking away. But then there's like the the wiggle mechanism. Right. Yeah, the wiggle yeah. thing is make it it makes it tough for us us uh, Gen Xers slash millennials. But and then there's the one wheel, which I heard is the bomb by Adam Argyle. He's on that was on JS Party. What's it called? It's called One Wheels. I believe it's called One Wheel. The Solo Wheel. Yeah, the Solo Wheel. With the electric motor. Yeah, the electric motor. It's almost like a uh, go-kart wheel in the middle of this thing. Yeah. And Adam Argyle on JS Party was just raving about how awesome the One Wheel is. So it's also was called a unicycle at some point, I guess, <laughs> but different product altogether. So what's it called? Did I miss the name of it, Ben? Did, did, did you share the URL? I think I, I think I didn't say it. It's called uh, Airshow. 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 Okay. Where'd that come from? Um, just, you know, spitballing ideas. I, I landed on it just because it sounded nice, you know? Like, uh, mm. I like the light air as in lightweight mm-hmm. show as in, you know, just feels good. Is it .fm? I own that one now, but it's not uh, it's not live yet. So you know we're um, we're talking about something that that hasn't actually happened because the app is in uh, second app review. Right. Ah, right. uh, welcome to iOS. So imagine that someone's listening to this six months from now, and so it's live. Where will they go? Is it Airshow.fm? Or? Yeah, you can go to yep Airshow.fm. Okay. That's a good place to go. I was gonna say because you you must use Hover to secure your domains because that's what it says. It says Airshow.fm is a totally awesome idea, still being worked on, and in parentheses being approved by Apple. It's, it doesn't actually <laughs> say that, but I just throw it. <laughs> I can imagine the concept. I mean, so you got some collisions with it's a great well-known term, 
but collisions with actual air shows, which are planes flying in the sky. Right. You know, being, you know, spectacles. But, you know, a great play where you can have multiple or several planes as an avatar of some sort for the icon, you know, where, you know, it could be air show themed, essentially. We know Ben has thought about the icon. How did you see my icon? Yeah, we know. Well, we know that you care about such things because I think you your hamburger icon is classic. (laughs) hamburger. We even talked about that last time. Yeah, I don't mind that uh, double meaning. You know, a, a feed bin, not so much in the U.S., but in the U.K., that's what you call like a bin that you put animal feed in oh mm-hmm. do you like that double meaning sure i mean i could, and i could see how it applies too you know you go i couldn't tell if you liked it or didn't like it when you said that yeah you go to the feed bin to graze on news or something maybe mm-hmm. that's a stretch well i think it's a good thing i don't think it's a negative thing at all i think for a while there you'll have people potentially lost until you have enough juice i suppose from the search engines to give you priority in the index but I think it's a great, it's got a lot of great things behind it in terms of like what you can use. Airplanes fly, podcasts fly, you know what I mean? They mm-hmm. Soaring through the internet pipes, so to speak, <laughs> getting to listeners' ears, you know, a lot of fun things, a lot of fun aspects to that brand, you know, an air show, yeah. airplanes. My only requirement was just staying away from the word pod that's been right. used. Also, also cast. Cast. Yeah. Pod and cast. So pod and cast are like, we're out uh, immediately. Can I introduce you in a show uh, app called AirPod? Oh, wait. <laughs> or AirCast. 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 Coming to a, yeah, anyways. Pod show. Good stuff. Well, okay. So the mechanics are simple. A play button, essentially. A play screen. And then you have the concept of a queue, which is probably a mixture of what you would subscribe to or bookmark. So you essentially have just a few ways really to mechanic the app as a user, but a really simple experience in terms of being simple what was it usable and complete what was the what was the acronym lovable lovable and complete S- yeah, usable is nice too yeah, usable yeah. lovable and usable are synonymous i was i would assume to some degree so as a current feedbin user who doesn't do it for podcasts like i i subscribe to our news feed in there just to make sure that the podcasts work but i don't actually listen inside a feedbin yeah how would you imagine me using airshow would you imagine me like start to using Feedbin for podcasts and listen to them in there? Or would you imagine me just using it as a standalone? Yeah, there is integration with Feedbin. That was important for me to have the option to um, start something on device and then pick up where you left off on the web. Like it kind of completes the the picture there with like a desktop experience. But yeah, it is more geared to like just stay on the device. You know, mm. the integration with Feedbin is fairly lightweight at this point. You know, if you if you choose to download the app and sign in with your Feedbin account, you're going to get a, just a new source, you know, kind of the left column, and it's going to show you your queue. So you can pick up on the web. But then if you don't want to use it there, that's, that's totally fine. It's not going to take over Feedbin in any way. Right. But I do get, basically, I get free sync because I'm a Feedbin customer. Like if I want to use it, Airshow on two devices, I get to sync through Feedbin. Mm. So that's nice. This is great because you kind of got both sides of the coin, really. You got, you know, feeds at large and you can consume podcasts. And for those feeds inside a Feedbin, that is a podcast feed. You could say, hey, this is a great experience here, obviously, because I made it. But there's also this other cool things you could check out so that you have a, a way to promote 
Airshell via Feedbin by way of saying there's a simpler, more complete and lovable experience <laughs> elsewhere. Right. Should you want to take it. And there's free sync. You're welcome. <laughs> That's true. You know? By the way. Wow. I, I don't know if I think of myself like as highly <laughs> as you do, but I, but I aspire to. Ben, you should. Okay. Let me tell you, <laughs> let me be the first person to tell you, you should. Thank you. But yes, yes, that's the idea. And yeah, I mean, it, it really just like seems like it, it requires that native component. You know, I'm not, I don't love how Apple runs the store, but you know, you gotta, gotta meet the people where they are. And for Feedman customers, that's, that's on iOS. So who should be using Airshow? What kind of podcast listeners should use it? Well, I think if you like Feedbin, you should you should check it out. You know, it's designed by the people who make Feedbin, so that's one thing that has gone for it. If you're already into that aesthetic, uh, the other thing is like, you know, you're talking about being overwhelmed with RSS feeds, but I think that's also super easy to do with with podcasts. A lot of podcast apps have you know notions of like multiple playlists and preferences about what you're gonna routine or just a lot of options and it it's like very powerful and flexible but i think it's easy to hide like kind of how oversubscribed you are so i think by like dialing it way back in terms of what's possible with the app it could also help like staying on top of the shows you actually want to listen to you know like the way i think about it is maybe i can listen to, I don't know, 12 hours of podcasts in a week. Uh, so as soon as I see my queue getting longer and I'm not staying on top of it, that's like a really strong indicator that it's time to unsubscribe from something. Mm. So, you know, if, if you feel like you're overwhelmed with your current podcast app or um, you just want like a lighter weight approach to the, to the whole thing, like something more casual, I think that, that it could be for you. I can totally empathize with being overwhelmed with a feed because that happens in my podcast feed that happens in my feed bin feed. And, uh, it, it I would consider it a, an internal epidemic. If that's even possible. It's a shame. Well, we've uh, discussed RSS. We discussed podcasting. I assume air show is not podcasting 2.0 compliant quite yet, but I would definitely consider looking <laughs> at some of the new features, such as transcripts, such as chapters. I was curious about the chapters thing. So, you know, Airshow supports chapters. Okay. But what it looks for is chapters embedded in the in the MP3 or AAC file. Um, right. So are you talking about, like, at putting chapters as, like, a, like a feed-level thing instead of the embedded thing? Yep, feed-level chapters. And why is that advantageous to the thing that already is out there? Well, it keeps your MP3 files smaller, first of all. It's also a lot easier to edit and build into hosting providers so that you're editing right through a CMS admin, similar to the way you would uh, your metadata, your show notes, your description, your chapters. Now, of course, they can also build that into where it edits the MP3s and stuff, but why ship the chapters to everybody in their MP3 files when you could ship it once in the RSS feed, I think is the idea. Now, in the RSS feed, it doesn't actually send all the data. It sends a URL of where the chapters exist. And so the chapter, it's just like with the transcript. So the way they do transcripts is you point to a resource where the actual transcript exists. And so that way, when an app wants to access the transcript, it can go fetch that as a separate request. So 
there's energy savings, performance, et cetera. And, and I think editability at author time by more people than those who can edit the headers of an ID3 file, which is a very few, a small few. Most podcasters are not that technical, but if it's built into their WordPress or it's built into their Buzzsprout or their whatever is the hosting provider, then they can edit the chapters there. That's the overall concept. So it's awesome that you support that out of the box though, because a lot of podcasting apps don't support the MP3 style chapters. Our plan as we add chapters to our podcast is to put them in both places, is to have both them in the MP3 for the foreseeable future. Maybe if the namespace takes off and everybody ends up supporting it, we don't have to ship the chapters in our headers, but then also include that in the RSS feed for apps that support it that way. Mm. I think the beauty of that is, I don't know how often someone would take an MP3 and just listen to it willy-nilly or by itself, but the beauty of it living in the file is that no matter where the file goes, because really the file is what you ship, not the feed, right? As the as the creator, like the thing, the artifact is the MP3. I kind of, unless I know more about the trade-offs, I kind of more for it being the MP3 than the spec and the RSS feed, because like no matter where the thing goes, I can open it in preview on my Mac with spacebar, and if preview supports chapters, I can listen to it right there. Which it doesn't. <laughs> Which it doesn't. But if they did. Well, like you said, who listens to MP3s willy-nilly? Like, there's so many things in the ID3 tags that... I mean, well, if a feed... Think about it, though, Jared. If a feed dies, if a feed is from 10 years ago and it's no longer on the internet, but I grabbed the MP3 before so-and-so pulled it down, it's it's a a re-listen forever. It could be a sermon. It could be uh, an actual podcast or whatever, but it's got chapters, then... Then that thing lives with the file. Sure. You know, we assume that the internet lives forever. We assume that. No, I mean that that U, uh, URL can also be fetched and held. I mean, you, that's a very ed, that's a very edgy edge case. I think if I have an MP3 for, from ten years ago, I'm curious though on the from Ben's point of view on the indie web kind of thing, like the simplicity of things. I think that in the file is resilient. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely. I mean, it makes me nervous that they are reinventing the wheel on a thing that already exists and has, you know, it's fairly well supported. You know, there's like platform level support for parsing out the chapter information. Like, you know, you can do that. What do you mean by platform level support? Like in in iOS framework? Yeah, like in, in, in Swift, you know, there's like an API where you can just grab the chapter metadata. Okay. So like that's already there. And if you're now creating a new format for it, then that's like, so, okay, I got to be able to read uh, MP3 and AC files, but then I also have to be able to do this uh, XML thing. Uh, it's also adding kind of a interesting, uh, you said it was a external URL. So, like, if I want to, like, grab all of that stuff, like, front load those requests so it's, like, local on device, then there's kind of like a explosion of HTTP requests that need to be made. Like you're about to have your 500th episode. Now I have to make 500 calls to get all those chapters to like have a complete picture of the metadata. Would you download all my MP3s too, though? I guess that's unfair because you because you do have to because <laughs> you do have to do that with the MP3s. So that's a small thing in comparison. Maybe it's just a quibble with the with the way they've chosen to implement it. Sure, because that's something that that could be improved. Mm-hmm. It's like. I'm already downloading this this one thing, so let's uh, let's get all that data right now. Yeah, I think authorship was the major concern. Yeah, and now that I think about it, I, there might already 
be uh, XML spec for chapters? Like, have you heard of this uh, pod love thing? I think the pod love people are involved in this. Okay. Yeah, I think I in building this app, I came across this pod love thing that I think embeds the chapters in, in the XML. Yeah, but then we get back to like the, you know, the spec versus the implementation thing. And like, it's like, oh, I already have chapter support. So like, why am I going to implement another kind of chapter support? Yeah, you'd have to be compelled, I think, by an abundance of podcasts that don't put them in the MP3s, but put them in the feeds. Yeah, I think that's valuable. If people are doing that, then I would not support that. Right. Mm-hmm. As as technical creators, we're going to do both because I think both the advancement of the namespace and the features that are based on the feeds is important, but I also think that I'm going to use exactly what already exists because now I'm going to get complete coverage. So I think it kind of depends on who comes to it when. There are very few podcasts that actually put chapters in at this phase, and they're very technical people. Yeah. So this putting it in the feed, which can be generated from the CMS, I think is a net win. Yeah. Because you're going to have a lot more people doing chapters that don't otherwise because they don't have the technical chops to do so. Yeah, I think I think the tools thing is huge. Like if it's hard to as a publisher to put that stuff in there, then that's then that's no good. So right. And rewriting the file has its challenges, which we know, Jared. Like, I mean, I get that too. Yeah. Just thinking, and I haven't, you know, finalized my case. I'm just thinking, like, okay, what are all the pros and cons? Because resilience to me says well, there's already a spec, like Ben's saying, but also it lives with the file, no matter where the file goes. Yeah, but the the album art lives with the file as well. But we also put it in the feed. So why do we do that? So you're saying we would the spec should say to put it in the feed and the MP3. In perpetuity, or at some point, the file would be bifurcated from it. No, I don't think the spec should say. I think if I'm writing a spec, I'm going to tell you the way that you should do it, which they think the best way to do it is outside of the MP3 for the performance savings, for the authorship, etc. But I think the fact that there's an existing way of putting it in the ID3 headers means that everybody who does that can just continue to do that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that sounds like a good feature request for podcasting 2.0. Like, let me let me write the stuff once mm-hmm. and go ahead and re- rewrite my MP3 file and publish it in the feed. Yeah, I think that they had to get each individual host to do that is the hard part. But that's the thing about distributed decentralized networks, right? Like, this is a bunch of people that have their own priorities and everything like that. And so you have to convince every your libsins, your transistors, your anchor which is probably never going to do that because now they've been owned by Spotify and the people that started Anchor have left. You know, all of these different people who end up doing the publishing at the end of the day on behalf of the creators, each one of those has to do their own implementation, which is the hard part. It's like, that's why they're calling it a movement because they're trying to create a movement because you got to get people moving to actually adopt these things. And who knows? Maybe nobody will. I think they have some traction, but there's a lot of work left to do in order to get these things broadly supported. What happened with that, Jared? This is sort of insider baseball, but didn't we have a we had an invite to Adam Curry and he didn't say yes, but Dave Jones did say yes. But we wanted to have them both on. We wanted to have the the Podfather on the right. show too, right? Because we wanted the full the full deal, the full enchilada, as we say here in Texas. That's right. We wanted the full enchilada. We got half enchilada, and I was like, let's mm. let's hold out for the. He's like, it's going to take longer to get the whole, and I was like, oh, we, we can wait. We're not in a hurry. That's kind of what happened. What was your thing when you were on vacation, Jared? Hey, waiter. You're saying something about hey, your, 
Now you're very inside baseball. You're 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 doing a visual representation of a thing I did on my vacation. I'm pointing down and my finger. Jared was on vacation. It was a meeting we had, and something with the margarita didn't have enough margarita, or something. I don't know what it was. A bloody mary, or this. It needed more, basically. And Jared haywaded the person. <laughs> I haywaded him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're just haywadering Dave and Adam. Uh, hopefully they'll come on sometime. The two of them. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, sure. I, I've I've given it like two minutes of thought. Why why shouldn't they <laughs> just go ahead and implement <laughs> my ideas? <laughs> we'll make sure to bring that up with them. Uh, yeah. Ben, you boy says, guys, just read it from the from the ID three text. Yeah, I can probably represent that argument for you better than I did on the other side today. I haven't put too much thought into these things either, but I think it's it's cool that they're trying at least to do some stuff. Yeah, the unknown pro and con too that it hasn't been discussed that may take it one layer too far I'll say and we can just put it out there or go deep if we want to is the process which you know Jared as well as I do deeply of creating the actual file and the behind the scenes production even before it hits a feed coming near to you essentially as a listener is behind the scenes post-production work on an audio file in an audio program in our case we use Adobe Audition and the the workflow it takes to create the content to create the ending wave file that gets mixed down into an MP3 ready for broadcast, but then also includes all the chapters in the MP3 to then there re-edit or perfectly edit on the initial write these chapters. So there's a whole workflow issue that's beyond that. So I can kind of empathize with the fact that you want to put it in a feed versus the file because writing the file with the chapters is challenging unless you have the software tech or a workflow right. that works well. So... In those cases, I'm kind of leaning towards feed because that's easier to write than a file. That's what I've been saying. But from yeah, it's it's such a challenge. It really is a challenge. It is. It's a pain in the butt, honestly. But anything worth doing well is hard. It's a very cool feature, and I appreciate when a podcast has good chapters, and when my app that I'm listening to on it supports those chapters. It's really a nice addition. Yeah. To the experience of listening to a podcast, so we're working on it. Yeah, chapters are fun. Yeah. yeah. You're gesturing before Adam, you know, you could throw that in a in chapter specific artwork. Right. So that, you know, it's synced up. Absolutely. I mean, we, we are a sponsored podcast. I would love to change the art and give them some visual brand recognition because that is a missing component. I think it would be helpful to our listeners too. Like we have some awesome brands we work with. If we can swap the artwork temporarily. Going back to my performance argument though. Like each one of those images could potentially be 3,000 pixels oh, square. True. And you're going to yeah. put that in your MP3 file when you could just put mm-hmm. it one place. Okay. Okay. You're going to put like how many megabytes are we going to put into these chapters, guys? Well, <laughs> you're, you're a web developer. You know about squishing images. <laughs> mm. I also know about forcing a bunch of megabytes down the wire on my users. So I try not mm. to do that as little as yeah. possible. Yeah. Even those who don't support chapters will be forced to consume the content that would support the chapter no matter what. Yeah. Everybody who downloads your MP3 is downloading a whole bunch of extra junk. Yeah. And very few people ever need that junk. Okay. I'm seeing the pros for a feed version of this, Ben. So. <laughs> All right. I got one. <laughs> ben, what are we going to do to get you on the side of... Well, that's why I said I'm, I'm holding out because I'm not sure because on one side, I see the benefits here for the resilience. Like I like the idea of like taking the MP3 anywhere in the world and always having the chapters with it. So maybe you keep the chapters as ID3 and maybe not the images. So maybe in that point you can sort of like let the two go. I don't know. And then somebody goat sees you. Goat sees? What? <laughs> don't, don't Google that. <laughs> don't Google that. 
Well, nobody Google that. <laughs> so let's let's put it here, Ben. Is there yet another resurgence of RSS? Yes or no? Where, where are you at with this? You're you're knee deep in the water of RSS, so you must desire a re re again resurgence. No, there's no resurgence, and but that's fine. You know, I I, I think like. I'm happy with where it is, certainly um, as a as a user. I'm happy with where it is as a business. And I know like a lot of other people are too. And I think th- I think that's okay. You know, like it doesn't have to take over the world to be um, interesting or significant or a benefit for people in their lives. I mean, it's almost like, better in a way because it can just be our thing like the people who know and love it and uh i I don't need the world's validation for my passions Mm. so no need for resurgence it can remain a small critical mass which it is currently who uses it loves it every single day i use it i don't love it every single day jared said admittedly Yesterday, in prep for this call, I use it every day. That's a quote. That's true. So you've got Jared. Multiply Jareds. Here's the one thing that does need to happen in terms of resurgence. If you are an engineer, developer, tinker, whatever you are out there, if you're writing on the internet and your personal website or blog does not have an RSS feed, you need a stinking add one. That's all I ask. Mm-hmm. Because... That's the only time where it really fails me is I find a cool blog by a person. I'm like, I would love to read more of their writings. And I copy the URL and I hop over to the feed bin and I paste it in and feed bin says, cannot find feed or whatever. I'm like, you don't even have a feed? You got to have a feed. So Yeah, that feels bad. We need at least that level of resurgence. Now, Ben, here's a feature. Scrape those sites and for, watch them for updates. <laughs> <laughs> Create feeds for us. Have no site. Disappoint. That would be cool. That'd be a lot of work, but it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. There's been things like that. Uh, I never loved the results. Yeah. I actually built one of those way back in the day, and it I didn't like it either. It would email me. This was like a decade ago. It would email me when a site changed, and it was just too finicky because people change random stuff. And I had to like, I use CSS selectors to like select a portion of the site that actually mattered. Right. You know, and it would just always be like, yeah, it didn't actually have a new uh, update. They just rearranged stuff. Mm. It was always finicky. That was a long time ago. I'm sure there's more sophisticated ways of doing it, but I wonder if Wayback Machine would be at least a good initial step. If you can like leverage the fact that they're going to always check most sites for changes. I don't know. I just wonder if there's an API there. Maybe you can at least use it as the... My solution for that is uh, just follow that person on Twitter. You know, they'll probably also tweet links out. Yeah, but then you got to hear everything they talk about. Eh, there's, there's, Feedman has filters too, so you can get just the links. It's a lot of work. I prefer you do the work and I can just subscribe to the feed, <laughs> but I've actually gone so far as... Yeah, I am doing the work. I'm, I'm filtering those tweets manually. You're manually doing those? Ben reads each one. He's like, oh, yeah, they're not going to like this one. They're not going to like that one. Yeah, I'm way behind because of this call. <laughs> well, airshow.fm is the new thing. It's probably out there for you to enjoy. Fingers in the crossed. app store near you sometime soon. Uh, airshow.fm is the future long-term URL for this new thing. Feedbin.com, of course. Ben, you boys, thank you so much for... Helping us to clarify some some of the icky, fun, 
weird things about RSS that we just want to improve, but maybe it shouldn't, but maybe it should, but who's going to do it? Who's going to champion it? Whatever. This non-re-resurgence again to never happen. It needs to be, it could be just this smaller critical mass, whatever. But thanks for sharing your perspective. Thank you. I think more than anything, really just thank you for, you know, having solid ground to stand on as a product developer, which is the hardest part of making things is like, Having firm, solid ground that you stand on, that you say, this is what I want it to be. And there is, there's a velvet rope of what features will go in and what features won't go in. And I think that's that's the hardest part as a maker is determining what your your lens is for which you're making your thing. And so thank you for that. Thank you, Ben. Anything else? Anything we didn't ask you? Anything we didn't say yet? What's left? Anything? You know, it's, uh, yeah, I had it. I had some ideas of some more like technical directions we could go, but I think we're pretty long right now. But yeah, thanks for having me. Hope uh, hope we didn't bore too many people. I love talking about this stuff, and I hope people are interested in hearing it. Ditto. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Thanks, Ben. All right. Good talking to you. That's it. This show's done. Thank you for tuning in. For Plus Plus subscribers, hey, stick around. You got 20 minutes of bonus content on this episode. If you're not a Plus Plus subscriber, it's not too late. Go to changelog.com slash plus plus and become a member. Get closer to the metal, make the ads disappear and support us directly as well as a sticker pack for free. Thanks again to Ben for coming on the show today and sharing his thoughts on RSS, Feedbin, Airshow, and so much more. A tremendous thanks to our friends and our partners at Fastly. Thank you, Fastly. Thank you. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Zylinder for making all of our awesome beats. And of course, thank you to you for listening to this show all the way to the very end. Listeners around the globe, keep tuning in, and we love it. Thank you so much. If you like this show, share it with a friend. Word of mouth is by far the best way for podcasts like ours to grow. All right, that's it. This show's done. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week.